I'm turning today to the word of the Lord. We have been in a series that I'm concluding this morning. We've been talking about the dimension of the supernatural and how that is very real. I'm going to talk more about that after the first of the year. It is as real as this world we live in. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's not there. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever seen an atom before? An electron? A neutron? Proton? Quark? Nobody? Do you believe in them? You should because everything around you is made up of them. Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And we will talk more about that after the first of the year, as I've stated. But we're moving into the Christmas season, and there's some things I want to teach on. But today I'll wrap up the series. We have basically been talking about how deeper worship leads to God encounters. And God encounters automatically cause miracles to happen. I want to read today from a passage in the book of Judges and show you why some people do not receive miracles when they have the opportunity to. Judges 11. Now Jephthah, the Gileadite, was a mighty man of valor. But, everybody say but. When that conjunction is thrown in, you know something is coming. But he was the son of a harlot. And Gilead begat Jephthah. Gilead's wife bore sons, and when his wife's sons grew up, they drove Jephthah out and said to him, You shall have no inheritance in our father's house, for you are the son of another woman. Then Jephthah fled from his brothers and dwelt in the land of Tob. And worthless men banded together with Jephthah and went out raiding with him. And it came to pass after a time that the people of Amnon made war against Israel. So it was when the people of Ammon made war against Israel that the elders of Jephthah, oh, the same guys that kicked him out, went to get Jephthah from the land of Tob. Then they said to Jephthah, come and be our commander that we may fight against the people of Ammon. So Jephthah said to the elders of Gilead, did you not hate me and expel me from my father's house? Why have you come to me now when you are in distress? And the elders of Gilead said to Jephthah, that is why we have turned again to you now, that you may go with us and fight against the people of Ammon and be our head over all of the inhabitants of Gilead. There are reasons that many people don't see the supernatural work in their lives. And these reasons are things you can do something about. Very many times we're hung up on stuff. We're snagged, stuck. I want to talk to you today from the subject, I've decided to get over it. I've decided to get over it. Father, I pray that you will speak to us and that you will move this morning in that mighty way that you have where you cause the word of God to become alive and allow it to impact our hearts and our, our walk with you, our lives, everything about us, our families, the way we view life, the lens through which we 
see everything that goes on around us. And God, open our understanding. And in one service, I'm asking you to do something. I'm asking you to change us. In one service. It doesn't take you long. I believe with all of my heart that in a few moments that you can literally cause everything to change for us. And I ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. I've decided to get over it. How many of you have ever first had to get over something to reach where you needed to be in life? Let me see your hand if you have. Just look around if you would. Amen. What was it? A personal weakness? A bad attitude? What about ego? Ego is not your amigo. An injustice that was done to you. Perhaps one that was done many years ago. A difficult upbringing. Anybody relate to that? Something that has had you hung up and snagged. You're tangled up still. And it may have occurred (laughs) decades ago. And yet you haven't been able to put it behind you. Overcome it. Believers have to get over things that happen to them to experience God more fully. That really is a fact. Even churches have to get over things to have revival. People have to learn to forgive each other. Forgive people who didn't ask for forgiveness. Families have to be able to forget grudges and bury the hatchet. Hopefully not in each other's skulls. We've all heard of the Hatfields and McCoys, right? Grudges can go on at a catastrophic Cost that can be carried into decades in the future. And the truth is, is that getting over things that are trying to stop you and hold you back in life is part of what you have to experience to find success in any measure of life. You're going to have to get over some things. Amen. The reason that many people don't is they think that their circumstance is unique and unusual. You know, they believe that very few people have ever had to go through what they've gone through. Now, everybody gets hurt. They're willing to accept that and acknowledge that as a reality. But my hurt is worse than others who went through this. And you may have been wounded, but you don't know how bad I've been wounded. Amen. And the reason that this becomes a stumbling block is they then feel entitled to hold on to what is bothering them. Oh, I mean, you can let go of yours because you just didn't go through what I went through. But if you had gone through what I went through, you would understand why 40 years later, it's still as fresh in my mind as if it happened yesterday. But can I gently tell you something? Hopefully you'll receive it in the same spirit that I'm going to tell you. You're not the only one to face what you're facing. You're not. You're not the only one to have gone through that. In fact, you weren't even the first. And in this world, you're not going to be the last. Amen. 
What we have to do is make a decision that we are not going to allow things to hinder and block God from moving in our lives and things that will stop our own advancement in the kingdom of God. Amen. Sometimes there are reasons, as I said, that we don't experience God's supernatural presence on a continual basis or his activity in our lives more often than we do. And they could be things that we overlook because we don't think it's that significant, but they are. I want to talk to you about things that can block God's presence from working in your life. Jephthah was no stranger to pain. And all you have to do is read this story and know that he came from about as dysfunctional and broken a family environment as there is that exists anywhere in this world. Dysfunction, he had it going on in his family. His family life had to be anything but easy, truthfully speaking, based on what he had to deal with in his life. I'm surprised that we ever heard of him because most people we would not have. I'm surprised he didn't allow it to keep him from ever achieving what he achieved in life. Most people will allow what they have gone through to keep them from being who they were meant to become. I mean, the very start of his life began with an affair between his mother and not just a lady, but a harlot. That's what the Bible called her, lady of the night. And apparently at some point after he was born, his mama loaded him up diapers and all and carried him to his daddy's house and knocked on the door and said, here, you take care of him from now on. Now I want you to put yourself in the position of the woman that he's married to, his dad's married to. And there's a knock at the door and you go to the door and you smile sweetly and say to the lady standing there, yes, can I help you? And she says, you sure can, here. Well, who is that? And hands her a baby. And the woman says, that's your husband's son that you didn't know about. Oh, that created all kind of wonderful dynamics at Thanksgiving time. I can promise you, it was not much fun being raised in that house. And the other siblings absolutely detested and despised Jephthah. They fought constantly. Apparently, it lasted until his father passed away. At least that's my take on this story. And the time came for the family to divide his dad's estate, you know what they said? You get lost. Leave. You will not have a part in our father's inheritance. And they kicked him out. And he went to the land of Tob. And he was hurt. He was wounded. So he went to this distant land. And for a long time after that, what he did was not the best thing. He acted out and did everything wrong. He lived down to the expectations of others, not to the up to the expectations of God or what God believed his life could be like. So he gathered all of these worth, worthless people around him. And over time, he went from just being wounded to becoming so angry that he took out his hostility on just about everybody. They raided other countries. He and his friends 
did everything in the world to make other people's life miserable. They robbed, they, God only knows what they did. No doubt killed and everything else. Lived on the wrong side of the law, the wrong kind of life. But over time, all those fights earned him a reputation. He developed a name as a man of great valor. He was very brave and one thing for sure, as is made clear in this, these scriptures, he knew how to get it on. He could fight. Probably the reason he knew so much about fighting was because it started with him fighting his brothers when they would all gang up on him. They made life miserable for him. So he learned how to fight to survive. And like many people, Jephthah was brought up in a world that wasn't very accepting. There was no nurture that was going on in Jephthah's life. Oh no, anything other than nurture. And that's not just true of Jephthah either. I look around this room today and I wonder how many other people were raised in circumstances in some ways very similar to his. I can relate. My mama put me out when I was four and I had a two and a half year old brother and a nine month old brother. And you've heard me say she took all my clothes, including my socks and shoes and left me in a little pair of underwear at a bus station and said, your dad's going to take care of you. I'm taking your clothes and giving them to the little neighbor boy that lived down the street. And she walked off and we were all crying and didn't know what to do. And folk were walking by smiling like, look how cute that is, those three little boys. I thought they were laughing at me because I didn't have any clothes on except my underwear. And I grew up knowing what this guy at least felt in part as a result of the rejection of his own family. There are others here. People sitting next to you. If they would tell their story, like I said a while ago, I'm not the first, I won't be the last, and I am certainly not the only one here today that's lived through something like that. Amen. And some of you have stories that make mine look like a little Sunday school story because you've been through some rough places. You see, we live in a broken world. I keep telling you that. I'm not being pessimistic, but the longer I live, the more convinced I am that I'm being a realist when I say that this world around us is about as broken as it can be. Amen. Broken as it can get. Amen. The weather's broken. I'm not going to get into politics. I'll just say this. Politics is broken. Amen. I don't care which side of the aisle you're on. Amen. Health is broken. The economy is broken. Relationships are broken. Shall I go on? Religion is broken. Amen. Business is broken. Presidents are broken. I added the S on the end of that so you won't think I'm picking on the current one. Amen. Congress is broken. The evidences are obvious no matter which direction you look in. Things are broken in this world. People ask me, oh, do you believe in that global warming stuff? And I say, well, why not? My take on it is, of course, the weather's broken. It would be an anomaly if it wasn't. Everything else is broken. Well, why not the weather? I don't know if they know all that, what they're saying about it is whether that's true or not, but I'm not at all surprised if you find out the weather is broken. Why not? 
Ever since the fall of man, everything in this world has been broken because this world and everything in it was designed to operate and exist in the presence of God. He is the divine environment. In him we live, we move, and we have our being. And when sin separates somebody from God, it gets broke. Amen. The incredibly unwise decision of Adam and Eve has caused us to suffer from that time till now. And it just gets worse like a snowball rolling down a hill. It's just picking up speed and the problems are getting bigger and not better. Even the second law of thermodynamics tells us that everything in this universe tends toward disorder or toward entropy. And unless you intentionally step in and take measures to prevent its decay, things will continue to move from good to bad to worse. Amen. Left to themselves, things wore out. They just do. They will rust. They will decay. They will deteriorate. Your roof will need to be replaced. Your car will get dirty. Your wheels will, tires will wear out. You're, it's just the way life is. Amen. And try as you might. You can't fix that in this world. You can't stop it from happening. You know why? Because you can't stop it from happening in the 18 inches that you're standing on right now. You can't even stop it from happening in your own body. The irreversible processes of aging, of aging are taking place. And all the vitamins, all the weights, exercise machines in the world won't stop it. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. You suck it all in when she walks in the room and the moment she steps out, it's boom again. <laughs> right? Amen. And those muscles start sagging. And the hair starts turning gray if it doesn't turn loose. You notice it's mainly ladies laughing right now, so... Just to provide balance and perspective in the sermon. Ladies, all the makeup in the world is not going to stop you from aging either. It just It's the way it is. Life goes on. We get old if we're lucky. Amen. Things wear out. The great Nigerian author Achibe wrote years ago, things wear out. Amen. They do. The world is also broken spiritually. Along with everything else that is broken, it's in a mess, the world is, because the relationship that it once enjoyed with God has been damaged by sin. And because humanity is adrift from God, the human condition has been affected catastrophically. And as the old saying goes, hurting people hurt people. So this world has been hurt because it has stepped outside of its environment in him we live and move and have our being. I quote that again from Acts. And we, we don't do very well outside of God and like a fish flopping on the bank we feel ourselves dying because we've been yanked out of the environment that we were created to thrive in. 
You can't escape being wounded in this world either. You can't. You may try. You can build walls that high. You can stand guard at the door with a shotgun and say, somebody hurt me one time. I made myself vulnerable. I'll never let that happen again. But the greatest hurt of all is the hurt of loneliness. And so you build walls and isolate yourself and you don't really keep yourself from experiencing pain. Pain is even greater than if you did take a chance and let people in. You see, you can't escape being wounded in this world because not even Christ could and he was perfect. And they nailed him to the cross. Amen. Somebody's going to say something ugly about you. Are you ready? Somebody is going to say something about you that is incorrect. They're going to cast dispersions on your motives. They're going to criticize you. They're going to be unfair to you. And oh my God, it might even be church people. Heaven forbid. Amen. That simply means that if you live here very long, you're going to be wounded. And if you haven't be, can I tell you, be patient and hang on just a little longer. Your turn's coming. Amen. And I'm not being negative when I say that. I'm being pragmatic. I'm being a realist. Amen. And having said that, I don't think you ought to go around with binoculars trying to find people who are suspicious looking to keep them far away from you. Amen. And never trust again. It really is true. Church people can wound you. Many people think that churches are collections of perfect people. Boy, as a pastor and being in ministry now for 52 years, come see me after service. I can let you in on the secret. Churches are not collections of perfect people. Somebody said they're hospitals for the wounded. Lord, is that ever the truth? And church folk can hurt you. They can. Jephthah's family were the family of God. They were the children of Israel. They were of Gilead. That was their father's name, which means testimony. (laughs) They were folk who liked to testify in church. But they would still wound you. Amen. Praise God, hallelujah, and then hand you your head when it was all over. Do you know one reason so many people don't go to church? And I'll say this to our online audience. It's because they were wounded at church. How many of you have ever been through some hurts that came about while you were at the house of God? Oh, yeah. Been hurt at church before. I have. Amen. So they stopped going to church. And I want to ask you, did it help? Did the hurt go away? Did you find that perfect group of people you've been looking for? Nah. Folk kept on hurting you on the job. They hurt you in the mall. They hurt you in the neighborhood. They hurt you in your own family. Jesus said this about churches, that they who are whole do not need a physician, but they who are sick. There's some sick people go to church. They are sick sick in their thinking, sick in their heart, their attitudes. That's why they're in church. They need the help that can only come from the cross. 
just like you need it and I need it. Churches don't even possess perfect doctrine, much less perfect members. If a church had perfect doctrine, do you really think there would be all these different denominations around? Think about it. Fighting over this and how often you should have communion and what we ought to do at baptism and how you baptize and whether you dunk or sprinkle and on and on and on. Church fights. Paul said that we see through a glass darkly. I am so glad that first and second Corinthians are in the Bible. You know why? Because we get a glimpse into a major church that had all kind of problems that were staggering in nature. And yet they were members of the church. And Paul is telling the leaders and the people how they should address these problems. Look at this. Here's one. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul asked the question in the great resurrection chapter, how say some of you that there is no resurrection of the dead? And I go, what? People in church saying there was no resurrection? Yeah. It's exactly what was going on. And furthermore, it seems they were people who had say. How say some of you? It appears it was in leadership. And Paul had to straighten them out and tell them, you fool, I'm using his words. There's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen and we're all lost. Let's go have a drink. You know, we're all in trouble. He reminded them that Christ was risen and that someday we're going to rise too. If death claims our bodies, death is not final. I need somebody to shout and say amen. You see, if I can help you understand something, hurts are not really the problem. They're not. Somebody said, I'm gonna get hurt. Well, that's not the issue because we act like we're shocked when in the course of living life that we get wounded. Like, gee, I never thought that would ever happen. Well, darling, I want to tell you something. You live in this world, you will be wounded. Hurt is not the problem. The reality in this world is that we should be surprised if we are not hurt and not wounded more often than we are. Jesus said, offenses must come. Can I hear somebody say amen? Here's the problem, it's not the hurts, it's that we hold on to them and we accumulate them and we collect them and we put them on the shelf in a glass case and display them like we would awards that we had won or something. Why, right there is where I was wounded in 1952. (laughs) And I'm still holding on to it. Amen. And these things become the lens through which we view life and other people. Amen. And that's sad because when your hurts become the basis for how you relate to other people, trust me, you're not only going to continue to be wounded, you will hurt other people too. And someone will do you wrong still and somebody else you loved is going to betray you and your dog's going to run off and somebody's going to say unkind things about you. Kind of sounds like a country and western song, doesn't it? Amen. 
The story of Jephthah is about what you should and should not do when life has been unfair. Jephthah did not allow the hurts from his past to keep him from moving forward into his destiny. And that's what I want you to understand that God needs you to grasp here today. You're not going to stop being hurt. Offenses are going to continue to come. But you don't have to let them keep you from moving into your destiny. And you must not allow the things you go through to keep God from acting in your life. Amen. Jephthah did, however, allow for a a while what he had been through to affect his relationship with God. I can prove it. You remember that he accepted the position, I'll jump ahead, and then he made this bargain with God. Anybody remember the vow of Jephthah? That Lord, if you will help me win, that what I will do is sacrifice the first thing that comes out of the door of my house to you after I have had the victory. Now I want to ask you, why did he bargain with God? Anytime you go to bargaining with God, you're in trouble already. Seriously. Let me talk to you folk. God loves you so much you don't have to bargain with him. And when you're bargaining with God, it's an indication that not that he is difficult to reach and touch, but that you have the wrong perception of who he is. And do you know what forms the perception of who you feel God is? It's often the perception of who the the figures of authority were in your life earlier. And since his own father had been such a jerk... And his mother gave him up, and his stepmother couldn't stand him, and his brothers despised the ground he walked on. Jephthah became convinced that I'm not liked because I'm unlikable, and therefore God must not like me either. And if I'm not talking to people in this building right now, my name is not what it is. Because this has been the single biggest issue that I have had to help people address in these years of being in ministry. Is they don't feel that God loves them fully. And so you find yourself in a situation and what you have to do is you've got to bargain your way out of it. No, no, no. And by the way, on that, you might ask, what happened to his daughter? You remember his daughter was the first one that came out and ran to meet him. And, and so the story is told that, that she said, give me two months and I'll go and lament my virginity on the mountains with my, my, my friends. And then I'll come back and he was going to sacrifice her. But let me tell you, there was a provision in Moses' law that if you made a vow to God and there came a time when you needed to address that vow, you could, how shall I say this? You could give God an offering that would offset that vow and that you didn't have to give this thing to God. And so I've I've read what Jewish scholars have had to say about this and many of them do not believe that Jephthah sacrificed his own daughter. First of all, God's not into human sacrifice. Secondly, God is certainly not into you sacrificing your kids for some earthly objective. And so you paid the price or the amount of money 
that would free you from that vow. And then that thing became sacred to the Lord. And so she lamented her virginity because for the rest of her life, she was now God's. It would never belong to a man. At least that's what some of them say. Don't even want to get much into that because that's not what I've come to talk about. I want to rather address the question of why did he have to make such a stupid vow to begin with? It's because he felt like God wouldn't help him if he didn't. And there's so many of us that want to bargain with God when the truth is God is straining, as it were, yearning to help us, reaching for us, wanting to move in our lives, wanting to be active in our family and our future, wanting to release us into our destinies. But we don't believe that. I want to give you several principles that will help you process and my time is already gone. Several principles, principles that will help you process the negatives that have happened or will happen in your life. Number one, God knew that Jephthah's time was coming. When Jephthah was going through all of the pain and the suffering and asking the why me God questions. Any of you ever asked those? God knew that his time was coming when it seemed like it never would come. God knew, hang on a little bit longer, Jephthah. The day is coming when your expulsion will be turned into acceptance and your demotion will become a promotion. God was planning to turn it all around. I wish I had somebody that would shout and say, God's getting ready to turn it around for me too. Because God intends to do the same thing for you. Secondly, God knew that Jephthah needed to prepare before his destiny could come. You seldom ever just step into destiny. Nobody does. We always think they do. That they were just walking along casual-like with their hands in their pocket and whistling, you know, and just stumbled across an incredible opportunity. No. You see, opportunity is wasted on the unprepared. Wasted. In fact, if opportunity comes and you're not prepared, you probably will not even recognize it. And you'll see it as an obstacle and try to go around it. It'll jump up in front of you and, and you'll say, man, I, God help me. I just can't get rid of this, this thing. I rebuke you in Jesus' name, you'll say. Because you'll think that an opportunity is actually an obstacle if you're not prepared. Most opportunities come disguised as problems. Oh yes, to King Saul, that big old guy out there in the valley of Elah, Goliath. He was a huge problem to King Saul. That was because Saul was not prepared. He was not where he needed to be with God. But to a little shepherd boy named David, that big guy down in the valley, he didn't look like a problem. He looked like an opportunity for God to show up and show out. And listen, you, as I've said before, you would never have heard of David had it not been for Goliath. Amen. The problems you face and overcome, not run from, but face and overcome, are the ones that result in you receiving a promotion. Somebody in this building ought to give God a shout of praise. Hallelujah. 
God let Jephthah go through things to prepare him for the opportunity that was about to come. And if things had been too easy, frankly, Jephthah would have remained at home. He would have been ordinary. He would have gotten along with the rest of the kids. His stepmother would have loved him. His dad would have welcomed him in with open horns and mentored him. And Jephthah would have never stood out. But those who have to struggle, those who have it hard, those who have had to go through something. Oh, I'm not talking to anybody here. Maybe I'm talking to somebody that's watching this online because everybody here is acting like, oh, I had the perfect upbringing. My family was all together functional in every way. I got along with everybody. If there's one person here that didn't, you're the one I'm talking to because those that have had, who have had a rough time, they're the ones that end up doing something with their life. You see, when you've been through rough times, one of two things happen. Either you allow it to make you become a victim or it turns you into a victor. And if there's one thing I would like to change about modern society, here it is. You ready? Write it down. It's worth the... the, the effort you went through to get here this morning. Don't ever let society make you feel like a victim. It's telling everybody you're a victim of this and you're a victim of that and you're a victim of this. And I'm not denying the pain we've been through, but I want to tell you that was preparation for the destiny that God is about to release in your life. Don't you let anybody make you become a victim. If you do, they will rob you of your destiny. You'll begin to feel like, yeah, I wasn't treated right. Yeah, I've been through some stuff. You're right. I'll never amount to anything. How could I? And the next thing you know, you're stuck. If I could change one thing about life, it would be this. That people would stop trying to make everybody be victims and tell them how to be a victor. You can overcome. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You don't know how far I had to come from to get to where I'm at right now. I know what God can do. I know what God can do. I'm a Louisiana boy raised with more mud between my toes. I should never have reached this place, but God has been good to me. And I want to tell you, me and God make an undefeatable team. I know, I know. It's more about the God part of me than it is me, myself. It's more about God than anything I've done. But listen, if you have Christ within you, nothing can stand before you. Nothing. I'm going to see a victory 
We just got through singing that song. I'm going to see a victory. I'm not there yet, but I'm going to see one. I'm not there right now, but I'm going to get there. I'm going to see a victory before it's over and done with. And here's what happens if you let people turn you into a victim. You become bitter. You become angry. And you miss your opportunities. But whenever you get tired of being a victim and say, I'm going to flip the script. I'm going to use everything the enemy used to put me in this place to get on top. That's when God shows up. And I love the fact that God takes the devil's weapons and gives them to us to defeat the devil. Hello, somebody. Haman gets hung on his own gallows. Oh, God, I feel my head about to explode. Listen to me. The gallows the enemy built to hang you on, God's going to dangle him before the whole world and let the world know he tried, but he couldn't stop you. Give God some praise in this house. But those who don't allow what they've been through to cause them to become victims will prove to the world they have what it takes. You see, instead of getting mad and bitter, they say, I'm going to show you. You didn't think I was worth anything. You just wait and see. You thought you could just pass right over me and ignore me and I was a nobody and nobody would know my name. Before I'm done, you're going to hear something from my corner of the world. I'm going to make my mark for God with God on my side. I'm going to let the world know that I was here for a reason, that Christ is in my corner. I'm going to stay up later, get up earlier, lean on God more and exercise greater faith and I'm going to get there. I call that the advantage of being disadvantaged. We wouldn't have ever heard anything from Jephthah if his family life was ordinary. Third thing God wants you to know is that what you're going through is meant to equip you. I want you to say that. What I'm going through is meant to equip me. Say it. You see, problems in this world are often looked at the wrong way. We think that means that because we're facing a problem, God has forgotten about us. No, 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 beloved. The problems are the school that God is allowing you to go through. And they're meant to equip you. So trouble showed up back home. And they called Jephthah. And I love this because... I want you to remember one thing. This is enough right here. If you only came to service today and heard this, you got something. Life is self-correcting. You don't have to go fix everybody that did you wrong. You don't have to get even with anybody. You don't have to straighten anybody out. Hello, somebody. You don't got to go knock on their door and say, you did me wrong years ago. You don't have to deal with it. There's a God in heaven that takes care of it and balances his own books. That's why you can let it go. Tell somebody, let it go. Let it go. I've said this before, but it's because you haven't let it go. Let it go. You're frozen. 
Amen. Even your children can teach you that. Trouble showed up at home and they knew they couldn't handle it because they were all well adjusted and everybody's doing good. Thank you very much. And everything's fine and the 401k is in good shape. And I got great kids. They all make A's and B's in schools and they in school. And, and so the enemy comes, Ammon comes, and they say, Uh-oh, all we well adjusted folk need somebody that knows how to fight. And they sent for Jephthah. The very ones who kicked him out are now sending for him. And the fourth thing is, remember this, Jephthah had to let go of his past hurts to become who he was supposed to be. Jephthah could have told them, I'm going to have to skip over this, my time is gone. He could have said, I'm going to pull up a chair and sit on the sidelines and what you get, what you got coming. You earned it, you deserve it, and I'm glad you're getting it, and you're calling me, but no, no, no. It'll be a cold day down in Hades before I come help you. He didn't. Amen. The point is, is he had to get over the rejection because his destiny was wrapped up in what they had called him to do. Amen. I'm convinced that the enemy has used this strategy over and over and over again to hold people back, keep them from advancing and moving forward. They get hung up and they smile and they're so sweet in church. They're almost saccharine sweet in church. But inside their hearts, they have things they they deal with, but you have to address it. You have to put it behind you and you have to be willing to live and let God take care of all of that kind of stuff and it not affect who you think he is or who you know yourself to be. Amen. Your promotion will come when you let go of the past and stop permitting it to hold you back. Can somebody in the building shout hallelujah? It's not the enemy that's holding us back. It's us. And finally, Jephthah even had to get over his disappointment with God. Stand with me. You say disappointment with God? I didn't get that in that text. Yeah, because God is the ultimate authority figure in our lives. And how many of us have gone through challenges and at the end of the day, we didn't blame the person who betrayed us, the wife or the husband who did us wrong, the father or the mother or the neighbor. Do you know who we blame? God, why'd you let this happen to me? Why did you let this happen? How many of us have blamed God for things we've gone through? And you know what it does? It affects our ability to trust him and to know that God is good all the time and that all the time God is good. easy to blame God but I tell you what's hard to do in the middle of a very difficult season is to close your eyes and to lift your hands and say Lord I trust you in the hard times just as much as I do when things are going well 
every head bowed. And so I've been through some stuff. Yeah, I have. I've been betrayed. I've been talked about. (laughs) I've had people say some things about me. And I've looked behind me and say, who? Who are you talking about? You. Oh, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, we've all been there. But while our heads are bowed, I've decided to get over it. I'm not going to let it stop me from what God has in store for my life. Could I see the hands of those who are here today who need Jesus in their life? Would you raise your hand and say, Pastor, I need to give my heart to God. God bless you and you. Keep raising them and you and you. Keep raising them. I'm looking across the building. God bless you, sir. God bless you. God bless you and you. God bless you. Keep raising them. God bless you all the way in the risers. There's so many hands raised. I want to pray for you. I'm not minimizing your pain. But I'm saying don't let it rob you. And Father God, as we pray today, we come to you. Every one of us here with our brokenness, with our wounds. Every one of us here today come with our hurt. And especially those who don't know Christ yet. And Lord, we feel betrayal and we feel anguish and disappointment and unhappiness and sometimes hostility. And we want to sometimes get even. But Lord, we lay that at the foot of the cross right now. And we ask you to forgive us. Forgive us for the wrong emotions. Forgive us for allowing what we have been through to affect the way we feel about you and your goodness. I want you to help us put those things behind us. And for those who don't know you, God, wash us in the blood of Christ. Cleanse us. We put these things under the blood. And if we have wronged others, we put that under the blood too. And we ask you to be our Lord and Savior. And be seated on the throne of our lives. And we welcome you as our Savior from this time forward. And we believe that you're hearing us now as we pray. In Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. Let me hear you shout it and say amen. If you just prayed that prayer with us, we welcome you to the family of God. If you're home and you just prayed that prayer, thank you so much. You have taken your very first steps as a child of God. Let's give everybody that prayed that prayer a resounding shout of appreciation. Come on, can I hear somebody love God?